Mike and Wine. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? I don't even know, Lou. We're going to try and talk about process in the most abstract or specific way. We have no idea yet. Maybe design process. We can hone in on oh. that. Nice. I've been I've been wanting to ask you what what is it, what is it that you do? Like, what's your job? I don't really understand your job so well. Uh, my job title is designer advocate, and I remember when I joined, loads of people thought that I worked for free <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it sounds like a fluffy fluffy thing. Like a design it, influencer. Oh my god! Don't even go there. <laughs> it it's kind of you work with community in air quotes and decide what people need from the product. So for me, I really try to specialize as much as possible on design system stuff and components and that kind of advice. As for process and what, what do I actually do? A lot of consumption. So weirdly, I feel sometimes like an accidental researcher and just listening all the time. That historically has been like social media, Twitter, listening a lot on there and then kind of letting it bubble away in my brain and then producing something based off what I'm hearing or what I'm listening to, or even just taking it back to the product team and saying, this is what people want to hear. So for an article, for example, I started one last week and that was the result of a sticky note being on my desk for like two years and just sitting and waiting. So the process is just like time for that. So you, you take your time to like reflect and, and just digest what you consume and then you make your own or, uh, take on it? Or not. Or sometimes it's, I've got five minutes. I need to make something. What can I do? And that is just picking something just off the top of my head and making it as fast as possible. I think I mentioned before about time constraints being really useful for me. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you've got, that's all you've got. Make something and push it out. And it doesn't matter if it's not finished. doesn't matter if it's scrappy, just kind of get it out there. That's kind of how I work with my newsletter as well, is how, how quick can I get this off my plate? I know I've got to do something, just generate ideas, or even just a single idea and move it forward. So as for like the process of it, I don't really know. It's constraining time focusing on a single thing and hitting a target, whatever the output medium might be. For an article, that might be four or 500 words. It might be 2,000 words. For a newsletter, it will be the fixed format of the newsletter. For a tweet, it's uh, like a hook introduction and then follow-up thread tweets on the subject with assets. There's always like a fixed format. You've got to fill it with the information. Nice. Uh, so... Basically, you add constraints to stop yourself from overthinking. Via time, yeah. I think yeah, that that's cool. designers, designers kind of, isn't it Parkinson's law where the topic would take as long as the time you give it? And if we have, mm. I know designers like and prefer to have two, three hours un, uninterrupted, blocked focus time. I find that quite hard to focus in an almost endless space. So constraining it massively just forces something to come out. Yeah, uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I didn't realize why it was working for me, but recently that what I started doing 
um, I wake up really, really early now and, and I split my day into two chunks. Uh, and in, in those two chunks, one of them, I, I it's like mo- more focus work. And then I do like writing. I've like sort of time boxed a lot of the daily tasks. Um, and I'm actually producing a lot more in less time now because I've like split it. Uh, whereas before I would be so happy to have a, a, a no meetings day because then you meet, it means you have like an entire day, like uninterrupted. But then uninterrupted, it means that you get stuck a lot more. You overthink a lot more. It feels like time is sort of like stretching out, but not really, you know, translating into producing and like feeling accomplished. How does that affect things like deadlines? So let's say you have a deadline of tomorrow or next month. Does does the next month one inspire you more or the tomorrow one? Oh, absolutely the tomorrow one. Yeah, and sometimes I will uh, I will give myself a fake deadline just to like put pressure on myself, which not always works because if you know it's fake, then it's fake. Uh, but then some, for example, um, let's say this afternoon I have to um, to present sort of the project that I'm working on to another colleague just for him to like be in the loop. Uh, and I've taken that as a deadline. I have to have like certain things like done and accomplished by then so that I can give him as much context as possible. And that's like forcing me to, in some places cut corners, but in some of the places just not overthink and just, just make it, just design it, just put it on the paper, well, the paper, (laughs) the file. Practically speaking, how are you tracking this deadline? Do you write it in a notebook? Do you put it in a task management thing? Do you just keep it in your head? Um, I just feel it in my body. <laughs> I feel I feel like there's a deadline coming. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm a bit mixed. We um we try to use Asana specifically by it makes me itch, that kind of stuff. I've never really been good with task management stuff. It like you <laughs> just sits in my head, which is not great because some things fall through the gaps. But I feel like that is a result of trying to do too many things at once. Sometimes I'll write it on a sticky note and then never read that again. So it's not even useful to do that. Sometimes I will actually, my, my like to-do list is me emailing myself. Wow. A thing. So if I take a resource on token naming conventions, that might be a result of me emailing myself 20 tweets 20 articles over the course of six months that is just in my inbox that i can consume and that probably to you sounds like hell because you're inbox zero person but to me my to-do list is unread emails Hmm. it does sound like hell but at the same time as someone who does inbox zero every day it would be like a good nudge to to get it done because it's there and it can't be there um i like that approach uh i think you may be more type a than you give yourself credit for but it does mean that you don't have to do them which in my my um i've got an email unread for three years it's gonna no. i'm gonna get to it i'm gonna get to it at some point and it's no. gonna be important but it's just not quite right yet which also weirdly means that most of my emails are just myself which is not what emails for 
No, it's not. No, it's not. There are apps for that. You can you can track it in your like to do to do list app. Yeah, which I which I never read. When you're when you're designing stuff, how do you come up with ideas? Um, I used to just trust my future self. Uh, hello, Doug. Um, my future self to to figure it all out under pressure and like I will come up with an idea and then I would like design it like real quick or I would write a note somewhere again wouldn't read for for a long time uh now I I think I approach it a little with a little bit more structure in which I do time box uh, a session with myself or with somebody to just have ideas um I don't really like to follow like set frameworks like crazy eights and that kind of thing is i i do not like post-its and i do not like workshops and it makes me it's not for me um so i i try to i try to make it into something else i think uh, a zoom breakout room might be on my list of hellish things same as I like the, come up with 50 ideas i just yeah, maybe we're very similar in that it just doesn't feel natural. Yeah. Yeah, I think as as soon as it feels corporate, it's a problem for me. Um, and so sometimes it's not that the frameworks are not, are not useful, but I need to turn them into something else, like a game or something else different that feels like it's a, a product of our creativity and like something just feels human rather than design thinking in a, design consultancy <laughs> so that's a hot take sorry <laughs> do you think that well, let's just skip over the design consultancy thing do you think yeah. that we try to make ourselves feel more important by introducing these rituals um if i if i maybe elaborate if you're making a new form for a landing page do you need to go through a crazy eight to exercise um no i think that it's that's adding extra structure to something that it's already you know kind of straightforward um i think that certain tasks require more more creativity and thinking outside of the box change in perspective whatever you want to call it like sometimes you do have to look at problems in a different way uh and it is really nice that we have processes that help us doing that like there's you know there is research that uh shows that those types of workshops and things work uh so it's not that um it's not that they're bad um but i think sometimes it's it's a little bit overkill yes so why do we hate them if they work um that's a really good question uh i think personally i hate them because i've always hated like group activities uh, I, in school, I, I did not like when there was like trust exercises and like things like you get in a circle and you do like, it just makes me cringe. And there's probably something there to talk to my therapist about. Um, but <laughs> I just, I, I can't say, do it. I was going to say, let's uh, get out of our personal therapy sessions again. Um, <laughs> yes. Shift. It's weird for me because I really like so playing football, for example. I really like the team aspect of that. And mm -hmm. I just don't know why 
when it gets shifted into can you create design ideas together it makes me feel uncomfortable maybe it's just an imposter thing i don't know hmm. why why do you think it would be an imposter thing is that do you feel vulnerable in those situations i guess when when you're in a room with people coming up with ideas together it's is my idea as good as the other people's ideas in the room mm. and how much pressure is that internally forcing to make sure you're coming up with all the good ideas i know that generally there's the environment of this is a safe space and any idea is a good idea but you're still in a job against people in same or higher or lower levels than you and therefore you are expected to produce a certain level of quality mm. But do you get paid to have good ideas or do you get paid to um, like execute in, a, in like uh, um, a project? Well, like um, it's an open question. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Cause sometimes I just assume that all ideas are bad or all my ideas are going to be bad. And it's just about how you like execute them. And then they actually turn into something good. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think this is definitely a process differentiator in different companies. My just my experience, even in this job now, is I come up with the idea to make it as well, and then manage the timeline of the thing. So it's all there, like trust in me to come up with the thing and to execute on the thing. Versus in previous design jobs where the CEO has told us what to make. So the idea, the idea in broad sense is decided and you're delivering it in the context of what already exists so there's still creativity in saying this new feature fits within these things or not but the like what designers love of coming up with something brand new hasn't personally existed in previous jobs and i guess that would also be the case if you're very far away from road mapping and budgeting and all those sorts of things yeah, I guess if you if you are in the loop about like strategies and goals and all that, um, it's already going to influence the kind of ideas that you have. Uh, the way that I'm experiencing right now, I think that I'm one of the reasons that I do the job that I do is because I have bad ideas in the sense that I I I come up with solutions that might not be realistic, but they are different than um, what you would come up if you're like to zoom in into a project and into like the constraints. Uh, and I think just considering those things actually makes it more of like a creative exercise and it turns into innovation at some point. You know what I mean? Like uh, I think letting go of like having good ideas, it's been a good thing for me. Uh, and it's actually made my bad ideas into something useful. That, so it's just that have ideas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something that I really, something I really, yeah, just put them somewhere. Something I really like about what I can do at Figma is that because I'm not in the design team, doesn't mean I can't come up with the design ideas. So it, recently I've been churning out these ideas for features and whatever, and just like posting them. There's no expectation it's going to go anywhere, but it allows this like itch scratching. Visibility obviously increases, 
and you can have conversations with the people who are producing the features that you maybe don't like or think could be improved just to sort of stretch it. I think that maybe the thing that doesn't necessarily exist in loads of teams is that space to come up with the bad ideas because it's always just feature, 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 sprint, sprint, sprint mm. without the without the the room to say, hey, that thing that we haven't touched in five years, what about if we did it like this? Yeah. Um, how how would you make that space? So this is where I think that the uninterrupted time can be a bad thing because you might just block your time to work on something. But if you restricted the free time and maybe had an hour where you're thinking, let's just go and experiment. That could be alone. That could be with the team. You could get in a, a room together and say, let's just spend an hour. You don't need, there's no expectation in coming up with something amazing. Is there a part of the thing you're working on that you dislike? Go and scratch around and feel about what the next version of that could be. There's no expectation again, that it's going to go anywhere or that it's going to be good, but just to get you moving in a different direction to then come back to the thing you were working on before kind of fresh. Mm, yeah yeah i i used to think that um I've, I've changed my mind several times about how to get unstuck and how to get creative and try to find solutions creatively throughout the years um i think in the beginning it was more like if i if i spend many many hours looking at the screen surely something's going to come up and that's incredibly inefficient never worked uh, then at some point i was like oh just go for a little walk. You know, you, you read all these articles about like getting unstuck, just go for a walk, have a glass of water, like that kind of thing. Um, and now uh, I, th I think I've become better at identifying when I'm stuck and when I'm not having the ideas. And I find a moment in which I'm like, this is not working. And then if I feel like I've, I'm spending way too much time on something, I'm like, suddenly feeling like I am not honoring my own time. I'm not honoring my employer's time. So I go and do something else completely different. Like I'm going to cook some vegetables in the oven and I'm going to film the process. This is what I did like a few days ago. Um, and while I was doing that, like just released my mind from the pressure. And then right after I was done eating my food that I had cooked, I, I I felt a completely different energy. So it was like, it's more like, instead of going for a walk and clear my head or just looking at it as like, I need to clear my head. It's like, no, I actually need to put creative energy into something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that turns into just liberating that pressure. Which would only really come with the space. Yes. If you were stacked nine till six every day, meetings, crits focus time whatever you might be so internally focused that you never even think about making food even yes that was that was me before um like i would just think that sitting on a chair for many hours straight uninterrupted was going to be like i'm going to get to a really good solution i'm going to i'm going to produce so much like I used to think like if I have one or two days like that a week, like I'm going to do, I'm going to get so much done. Um, and yeah, I would forget to eat. I would forget to, like take care of myself. And that's just like, it's a snowball effect. Like the more you do that, 
the the more you're neglecting your your brain and your ability to do things because you are depriving yourself from like basic human needs and um not even just the basic human needs it's like sometimes if you stretch your time out so so much you just don't do anything else with your day and then that is has vastly negative effect on your creativity what if you have a very clear set of things that you know you need to do and you get into this state of just production that that creates a real positive energy because you're achieving things and you feel like you're moving forward so i guess there's a flip side of the don't stare at your computer all day of the oh my god i'm amazing i'm churning out all these amazing things consistently yeah that's that's what i try to do now um i i start working uh around 7 a.m now and I try to use that first hour, like from eight, seven to eight or seven to nine to do the things that are like very clear in my head, because that's already given me a sense of accomplishment. And with that sense of accomplishment, I can put that into then giving myself some time to go to the gym or do things that are nice to me without feeling guilty that I like stepped out. And then I come back um, and just keep working because I, I've already built up energy like, um, there's this book I'm reading that uh, it's called Super Better. And uh, in the book, the the writer refers to things that make you feel good as power apps. Um, and I've been like thinking about those things I do throughout the day as power apps. And it's been really, really helpful. Power apps, like a gamification of our own lives. Yes. This book is so good. It's um, uh, She wrote this book... Um, because this is a method that she practiced when she had a, a concussion and when she was getting, she was recovering from it, she made it into a game. Uh, and so she basically explains life and moving forward in life um, through a game theory. And there's so many ideas, like for example, um, when, when there is something, uh, when you're feeling stuck, when, you, when there is something, that, there are certain things that are not, necessarily habits but there are things that happen to you or things throughout the day that are kind of bad for you and she calls them bad guys and she gives them like ridiculous names like uh, i don't like the the procrastination three-eyed monster or something like that and then like you you think of it in a way that feels more um accessible to like defeat as opposed if you feel like there's something inherently wrong with you uh, I'm really, really enjoying this book. Yeah, I guess the we we want to be making sure that we're moving forward and progressing and not sort of stagnating in anything, but then not getting so hooked on these mechanisms that we end up becoming a robot. Yes, yes. Uh, that's been a big lesson for me. Uh, I After I read Atomic Habits... And I know we mentioned that as a joke earlier, but after I read it a few years ago, um, I became a little bit obsessed with habits and all the methods from the book. And then I realized, oh my God, I am a robot now. Like my life has turned into this like algorithm, right? Like this, this is my formula of life. And then suddenly that, that's not exciting. And then I went through a lot of things and I, I, I took a couple years in which I did nothing, uh, um, along the lines of a method, productivity hacks, nothing. I was just like flowing and that was really good for me. Um, 
And now I think I found a really good balance between bringing some of those methods and ideas back so that I can make the most of my day and not have days in which I feel completely slothy, but still make my days a little bit more unpredictable. And like not every day is the same. Not every, this, I don't, I try not to be hard on myself. If I have a bad day that it's not productive, like it's okay. It's, I, I feel like it's been more chill uh, after some years of taking a break from productivity. Yeah, maybe just switch up a bit and talk about the like communication side of process. Mm-hmm. You work remotely. Uh, I, for a while, worked with only people in the US. So time zones were a challenge. Even seeing people on your same team is pretty hard. And with that comes communication challenges, not only waking up and going to bed and receiving like a message cycle of many days, but also how your tone is. And British sense of humor is a specific thing, which doesn't necessarily travel. And so I personally found it pretty hard to feel like myself for ages in the the process of communication within an organization. Have you found similar things? It's been, it's been a process. I think that I've, I've worked with different cultures, uh, Spanish culture, French culture, already very different from each other. Uh, and then that sort of mixed in with American culture and the, the international like sort of culture that you create inside like tech startups and tech companies that have diverse teams. Um, I've definitely gone through the process of like being overly nice and apologetic and an eggshell walkie. Um, and that's just also one of those things that as a woman, um, it sort of comes naturally to us when we are in the workplace that it's something that you have to learn not to do or to balance. Uh, I think there's definitely value in being empathetic and try to understand the other person's like perception as much as possible. And that includes, you know, the tone and the way you talk to someone. But I think we also benefit from trying to be direct. Um, I don't know why I'm uh, recommending so many books today, but there is a book called The Culture Map uh, that was written by Erin Mayer, um, whose job is to coach people to to communicate in in different cultures especially from people who are uh westerners moving to um asian countries like uh um certain cultures that are completely foreign to them and so like she's just basically a bridge uh for people to understand the work um with other with other people and that book has been really really useful because it has made me understand my own culture i think i've already talked about this book on this podcast um it's a really useful book. Um, it's not, it's not about, uh, like cultural cliches or stereotypes. It's really like cleverly written, really respectful. And it's really helped me understand how to communicate with my, with my peers. Um, and my principle right now is just be direct, but respectfully. Um, and, and, you know, try not to control outcomes as much. Practically though, how how do you be direct, direct but respectful? Is that is that like adding emojis at the end of every sentence, adding more exclamation marks? How do you practically deliver someone some really direct feedback without the possibility of it being mis- misinterpreted? 
I think feedback, asking for feedback and also self-awareness. If you, if the way, if your style of writing, it's a little bit dry, maybe like can, you know, um, I think it sometimes is going to lead to like miscommunication or uh, certain situations. And you, you would know that people would tell you. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe the way I talk, I am someone who needs to add an emoji at the end, <laughs> you know, to just like um, convey the the tone. I I don't I, I like emojis. I I like to use them. Um, I just try not to. Sometimes I use like the cute ones too much, and then I'm like, this is the a different version of the same of like being overly apologetic and like careful. Um, but yeah, asking for feedback and uh, giving giving the person the opportunity like. The, the safe space to to say oh do you mean this or do you is are you mad at me? like you know like for the person to give you feedback basically just making it safe for people to communicate with you yeah a couple of a couple of my colleagues would ask before taking a statement and saying just to be sure is this what you mean and yes al- almost every single time it's not and having the opportunity to alter the, the even the order of the words that you're using or the definition of a word, sometimes I'll use a word and it's the wrong one uh, mm-hmm. just because I don't know the definition properly. And that gets taken way out of context. And if somebody was on your side and just said, just to be sure, you, are you clear on uh, the structure of the sentence even? Or would you like some help wording this that you're going to send to a Slack channel of 50 people? And having people on your side like that is the, the the surefire way to make sure that somebody can not be misinterpreted. Yeah. Even in even in my job too, there's definitely you mentioned about um, being a being a woman and how hard that can be for communication styles. Even in my job, uh, people have uh, almost asked me to ask questions on their behalf because it's been way easier for me to do it and that obviously sucks but if you could find these sort of buddies around the organization or buddies within your team where you can have each other's back in that way then you can collectively get answers to questions that you need i'm not saying that's yeah. a good thing that is just kind of how organizations sometimes work but it's worked for us yeah i i think having someone like that you can basically use your privilege for good Right. Exactly. If you if you have if you have one and you know we 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 all have like different ones. Whatever privilege you have, use it for for good and to like be constructive. And in the meantime, also spend that time educating and and try to make a change. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on time, but maybe just one last thing to try and discuss is about as as designer. We haven't really spoke about the, the practical bits of like design. Uh, giving design artifacts to people to use or build aka developers what is what's been your most successful relationship with a developer or product manager or someone when you're making something and it goes to production exactly how you wanted it to be i think i have to talk about one of the more recent ones because it's not exactly um about like handover but it is uh, an example of collaboration uh with engineering and it's in the way that we in my team are doing things uh, are building um components in figma starts with code so it's like sort of 
the the inverse and um we collaborate on a, a fig gem together to uh, figure out what the best um structure for the api of the component is going to be and so on their engineering side they are um, designing the api for react and explaining the constraints and the and the different things that like the different requirements that it needs to have and then we come in and we we talk about what that's going to look like on figma and and we come up with a consensus of um what are the things that can match and principle is that things should 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 match as much as possible and then what are the things that could be different and then we we start with documentation already um and that feels like a really really good groove between design and engineering so working as close together as possible basically yeah yeah i was going to say something not too dissimilar either the best process for me has been where like older older jobs where i designed and coded it because it just went straight to production mm-hmm. but in a non jerky way is i think it is the space between the design and engineering teams where there is room for maneuver and it's not this is a fixed thing that i'm giving you please make it because i would have always forgotten something or like a state or what happens when there's too much text on this line those kind of things and the best way that's happened is actually sitting in the same room so the engineer on the other side of the table being able to say can you just double check this for with you and you saying oh yeah sorry i messed up on that or i missed up missed that step but i don't think i've ever worked anywhere where that space has been created effectively because it's always been during the sprint where the engineer has said oh we don't have this thing and then we have to work very fast to make it exist which slows down the entire process for everybody and then not really learn that and bring engineers closer to design at the front so i think that the best process for me would be before a design says designer says here's the finished thing it's let's all get a sense check on this um create some space for engineering to take a look before they go and try to build it yes um i think that's also it also comes with the particularities of yours and mine like my job like the if we are working on components then that it just sort of it needs to happen that way like we need to be in the same room we need to be working together closely i i can see how like in a feature team building uh you know prototyping and then uh just building an experience rather than than a, like the ui itself it's it's a little bit more about getting feedback early and just trying to involve people but it's it can't happen at the same time i understand why that why that is so basically we need to get feedback early yes as possible yes. but how do, <laughs> how does that actually happen without completely smashing apart traditional design engineering processes um my experience in that has been just just let it go just if, if each of us let go of our ideas and our work um as something that represents us in any way or uh yeah it's something that represents us um then suddenly you can't help but to share your work you can't help but to 
um, just relieve the pressure of being the person in, in charge or, or hoarding information and just working in the open and every person that you um, talk to on Slack, can you check it out just for a gut check? Like suddenly it just becomes our thing and it's not your thing anymore. Um, and that builds up excitement and then people actually do want to see and provide feedback. And that's when you learn about engineering constraints and blind spots and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's a, a nice place for us to, to stop today. Thanks yeah. everybody. Thank you. Um, Have a good, whatever day, week, whatever this is. <laughs> whenever this comes out. See you soon. Bye.